Hey, thanks for joining me on the Frame Mind Podcast. I'm Jeremy, the founder of Mind Above, a mental health practice based in Dallas, Texas. Today on the Frame Mind Podcast, we're going to be talking about cognitive distortions. Cognitive distortions is a great place to start your understanding of your own mental health and becoming more aware of some of our own unhelpful thinking styles. So I hope you join us. Are you listening? Damn. Hey, welcome back. You're on the Frame Mind Podcast. I'm Jeremy, a mental health therapist based in Dallas, Texas. And we're going to be talking today about cognitive distortions. So what as I said at the top of the podcast, cognitive distortions is also a fancy way of saying unhelpful thinking. So some of the things we do, we don't even realize, but they could be affecting us in a negative way. And that includes some of our thinking styles. So cognitive, cognition, how we think, how we respond to something. We have all these different experiences we have, emotions, we have mental, we have the cognitive or thinking structures or behavior, how we respond, how we interact and how we interpret things can really be more complex than just a simple yes or no at times. So with cognitive distortions, we're going to be talking about how do we detect it? How do we identify what it is? And then when we do, how do we challenge it to change our thoughts to be more positive focused? And after that, how do we correct it so that it becomes something we don't do anymore? This all takes practice. So when we have to take practice, I always remind my clients, be humble enough to heal. So what that means is be kind enough to yourself as you would be kind to somebody else who's on a journey facing their own challenges and struggles. That goes a long way because we can oftentimes be very negative and impact our own mental health in a harmful way because we have so much self-judgment we place on our own practice, on our own experiences, and our responsibilities. So that's a great example of our thinking style and a great thing we could work on to change for the better. This takes practice, 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 practice. To get better, to hone in, to hit that zen-like life master stuff, you gotta practice. So here we go. Jumping right in here to our unhelpful thinking styles. First off is a classic, all or nothing black and white thinking. We often see this as a sense that I'm not perfect because I've failed or either you do it right or not at all. It can be very, very polar experience of extreme yes or no and we everything gets swept to one direction or the other. When we do this, we take out a whole wealth of options that exist in that gap between. So it's important for us to identify. It's not always so clear cut black and white overgeneralization or overgeneralizing. So overgeneralizing, we see a pattern based off of a single event or being overly broad in the conclusions we draw. Um, for instance, Jeremy's a therapist with brown hair. So every therapist is named Jeremy and has brown hair. Doesn't make much sense, but it's a little bit of an example. We overgeneralize often. We could say something against a certain group of people, a political belief, a religious belief, and we assume that all people of that existence or thing have to be the same. So next up is mental filter. Now with mental filter, it's like we refract light. What I mean by that is we will lock out the different rays of light and only see in this example, the negative. So the positive is filtered out and we're only focused on the negative. 
So we only see failures instead of our successes. And we can be really, really negative and pessimistic because we don't even allow ourselves to accept the successes we had while also identifying those negative thoughts or feelings. Um, with that being said, we can also disqualify the positive. So what we do is we discount the good things that have happened. So we kind of acknowledge that they have. And then we say things like, yeah, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't count. Good example is sometimes I have people come to see me and they'll talk about being challenged with their sleep. They get, you know, two, three, four hours intermittent of sleep. And then we'll start working towards addressing what we call sleep hygiene. So working on the activities and the things we do to get prepared for sleep. And then they'll come in and they'll go from four hours a night on average to six hours. And they'll say, yeah, but that doesn't count. My goal is eight hours. You've increased by 50%. Yet we're saying we're not on the path of success. So next up, if you're an office space band, you're going to love this one. It's a mat and you jump to conclusions. So with that being said, we jump to conclusions. Two very big styles we do with this is mind reading, where we will imagine we know what the other person is thinking. We will literally think we can like scan their brain waves and see into their existence in exact moment as just by looking at them. And we know what they're thinking because we base our thought of what they are going to perceive as true. And oftentimes that could lead to a misunderstanding or a complete miscommunication. Um, other one is fortune telling. So with fortune telling, we do this thing where we predict the future. We turn into this sage that can literally tell what's going to happen next because we can say it with certainty. So, you know, it's like if somebody said two plus two equals five, we jump to this conclusion and then we try to make it true. Doesn't really work too well. Next one up, magnification, also known as catastrophizing and minimization. So we go with magnification, we'll blow something out of proportion and give it more focus and more credence in our mind. Oftentimes the anxiety, we can do this, we'll have something that could remind us of a situation or a thing, and then we will blow our response out of proportion because it becomes a trigger and we get overactivated. With minimization, it's something we do when we try to maybe possibly avoid a stimulus or avoid a thing or a thought or a memory and minimize the importance of it. On our next slide here, we've got is emotional reasoning. So this is something that's interesting because this is something we can do when we're intelligent and we're capable. Sometimes we feel like, well, I'm smart enough to do this and I don't need to talk to a therapist. I don't need help. I don't need to talk to anybody about my feelings. Yet we stay inside here and we get this sensation that if I talk about my feelings, that means something's wrong with me. Um, so we assume that because we feel a certain way, that that thing must be true. Like if we make a mistake, if we are being a public speaker and we go off the rails and say something embarrassing, then we say we're an idiot because we did something like that. Um, next one up, the should, the must, the could, the woulds, the shoulda, woulda's is something that can happen to us and we get stuck in it and we keep repeating this responsibility and increasing our sensation of guilt, even though we may not have been completely at fault for a situation. Here's a great way of memory. A good friend said this to me one time, don't should all over the place because it makes a mess. If we take a should and we apply it to other people, the result is often frustration. Labeling. We will do this to ourselves, and we do it to others. And what we do is we will say, I'm an idiot. I'm completely useless or they're such an idiot, or they never get it right. 
personalization. This is my fault. So we will blame ourselves and take responsibility for something that may not necessarily be completely our fault. Um, we also do it where we flip the script and we will blame anything and everyone else for something that may be our fault. And maybe we are responsible for more than we want to take credit for. So how do we untwist that thinking? Here's a couple of steps you can run down. So first off, you want to identify the distortion. I gave you a list of 10 different distortions to check out. If you have to go back, you can find this podcast on my website um, and the video along with it on YouTube, or you can listen to the audio version and you can easily do an internet search and bring up a lot of information on cognitive distortions if you want to learn more. So when we identify the distortion, what we want to do is write down our negative thoughts so we can see which of these distortions you're involved in. So it may be a mix of more than just one. Be aware of that, and that's okay. Um, it makes it easier for you to talk about this problem and think about it because if we keep this closed loop, so if we just keep in this current thinking that has been problematic and been hurtful and kept us in a sense of sadness or depression, but we keep it up here locked away and we only allow ourselves to think about it, it's going to be kind of hard to be the person to address it effectively when it's stuck in here and is being reminded to recur in a loop and tell us that something is bad. Simply acting on writing it down is a different way of communicating because our writing style often, no matter how we try, we're going to write and it's going to be something that someone else could pick up and hopefully interpret. Thanks English class in high school. Now, with that being said, you want to examine the evidence. When we talk about examining the evidence, this is kind of like what I tell people when I meet with them, go back and do some dragnet. So if you're not familiar with dragnet, it's an old cop show. And one of the things that always came up on an episode, it seemed like, was they would say just the facts. So when they interview somebody, they would say just the facts. It's a great way to remember something very simple. When we examine the evidence, instead of assuming the negative thought is true, we want to see what evidence actually exists for it to be true. So if we feel that we you know, never do anything right, you can list several things that you have done successfully. And it's even better if you have some recent ones that come to mind. So we have to look at this as also a way of opening our mind to subjective versus objective. So with subjective thinking, that can be very emotional. It can be very in the moment with opinion and gesture and not necessarily fact. Objective thinking is focusing on the facts as they are or as they existed. So we don't take more responsibility for something than it occurred. Now, this is something that's interesting, really key in on. If you've experienced PTSD, trauma, or some kind of signs or symptoms that are similar to that, what happens is we go back to an event and we go into what's called hindsight bias, which I'm going to do another podcast on, and we will try to take responsibility and change something that we could have made the situation better, different, or not occur in the first place. So with that being said, we are taking away from the truth of what actually occurred and putting harsher judgment and guilt on it. Next one up is the double standard method. This is a classic technique we do in therapy where we also call the empty chair, put a chair next to you, you sit down and you're like, well, if that person was here, what would you say to them? Or if your friend was here and they were saying these things negative and pessimistic about themselves and being rude and mean to themselves and acting in a way that could hurt and harm themselves, what would you say to them? Flip the script, what would you tell a friend? Hopefully you would tell them something positive and encouraging and remind them that they are a good person. So if we can be kind to others, let's be kind to ourselves, like I said before. So next up, the experimental technique. And this is something we can do to kind of test our actual 
validity of what we're feeling and the negative thought we have. So sometimes with anxiety, we will convince ourselves of something that may not necessarily be occurring, but we'll put ourselves into a physical stress and we'll start to breathe shallow and we'll start to have a heart, our heart rushing and racing. And we'll convince ourselves that we're going into a heart attack or something similar, yet we don't have any signs or symptoms that are actively related to a heart attack. So instead, what we can do is maybe try some breathing, slow it down, see if that helps. Or, hey, if you feel not too bad and you get moving around quickly, now make sure you're obviously healthy enough to do this. You know, go for a jog, jump up and down, do some jumping jacks. If you're still breathing and you're okay, then, hey, maybe you weren't having a heart attack, but maybe you're feeling a little anxiousness and it turned into a panic experience. Um, other one is thinking in shades of gray. And I'm not talking about Christian gray and 50 shades. I'm talking about thinking of that black and white example we had earlier, all or nothing. So it says thinking in shades of gray here on the slide. So it's a great thing to do. What I like to do is think of it as thinking in gradients. So think of color scale. So if we have 256 gradients of color, we have a plethora of options and shading and outlining that we're going to do to create something different. What I mean by this is instead of it being black or white, we have all those colors in between that we can land on and make a difference and make it something other than all negative or only positive and nothing else in between. So next up we have on here as the slides is we have the survey method. So with the survey method, what we want to do is we're going to ask people, figure out what's going on, pull the audience, call a friend, talk to somebody, ask a question. Oftentimes when we get in that stuck thinking in our head, we tell ourselves that we're inferior, we're stupid, or we should be embarrassed. Like for instance, if you have a fear of public speaking, it doesn't mean you're an idiot or a fool or you should be ashamed. However, we will convince ourselves of that. And when we do that, we sell ourselves short. So ask a friend, hey, have you ever felt stupid or felt embarrassed about public speaking? Well, yeah, I have. Why? Well, it was scary to get up in front of you know, 20, 30 people. However, I did this and it helped me get through it. See what happens there is we talk to someone we have a good trust with and we can speak to them and get their input to help us out. And maybe we see something in a different perspective. After that, we have defined terms. So when we define terms, this is an important way of addressing, especially things like when we're giving ourselves or others labeling. So when we label ourselves inferior, stupid, a fool, a loser, take a minute, get out your phone, download a dictionary. If you don't have a phone, get old school. Get the actual dictionary off a shelf, dust it off, and check out the words you're calling yourself. Chances are you probably don't really match the definition, yet you're calling yourself it anyway. After that, we have the semantic method. So with the semantic method, we can do is simply substitute the language that's very colorful and emotionally laden and turn it into something that is more helpful. So instead of that should, would, could, ought, have to, we turn it and say something like, I shouldn't have made that mistake. We can turn it by saying, I would be better if I had not made that mistake. So that seems very, very small. And some of you might be going, what the hell? That doesn't even make a difference. Actually, it does. What happens there is we go from a negative connotation and this guilt sensation and showing that we can't get past it. I shouldn't have done that. I should have done this. And we say, hey, it would have been better if I hadn't made that mistake. Mistakes is being human. Guess what? You're allowed to be human. What we need to do is take that hadn't and see that, oh, it would be better if I hadn't made that mistake. However, I'm still going forward and I'm still able to continue. 
Uh, next up is reattribution. So reattribution is instead of us automatically assuming that we're bad and blaming ourselves entirely for a problem, think about many factors that may have contributed to it. So and again, this could go back to trauma or PTSD. We will take blame for things that are outside of our control. And we'll try to take a microchasm look at every little thing we've done and that led up to it second by second to find that one fault line, that one thing we could have done, said, experienced that would have altered the whole course of history. Here's the reality. It's in the past and we can't change the past. However, we can bring ourselves into the present to process it so that way we can have a better future. After that, not some we've got is cost-benefit analysis. So cost-benefit analysis, we hear a lot of different times in business and in our accounting and our ways of looking at cost of programs and things like that. But this is a way of looking at it personally for us. So here's a great way of using cost-benefit analysis. If you're familiar with the term Ben Franklin, so what you do is you take a line down the center of a page. It's like a pros, cons sheet, same thing. So on one side, pro, for, positive, other side con against negative. And we're going to do is we're going to part out the disadvantages of our feelings. So when we get angry for something like our tacos took too long at the drive-through, or we have a negative thought, like no matter how hard I try, I always screw up. We're going to take that and we're going to see it. And we are going to allow ourselves to see what is the benefit of this behavior and me having this feeling that I must always try to be perfect. So here we go talking about self. As a therapist, this is something that can be really fun to talk about because when we talk about self, therapy people, we get excited and we get really down into this abstract thinking and we want to really just get down in the weeds and explain how the universe works and what it is to be is and all kinds of things that you feel like you're on some kind of psycho hippie movie. So here's the deal. Self is when we look at how we express and experience the world and how we experience what's going on inside of us. When we look at self, a lot of times we're going to find that we have a lot of self-judgment. With self-judgment, we often say things to ourselves internally, either aloud or inside, that are much more harsh, harmful, and defeating than we would do to anyone else. That inner voice needs to change. That inner voice can go from being that self-judgment, guilt, remorse, and shame into being our strongest ally and advocate when we build our confidence and our self-esteem and our empowerment to do more. So when we talk about it, we want to do is we want to own it. We want to own whatever it may be with acceptance. Hey, I made a mistake. You know what? I had a bad mood and I yelled out at somebody and I shouldn't have done that and how we can change it with realistic encouragement. So I shouldn't have yelled at that person. However, I identify it now and I know I can do better. And when this occurs again, I'm gonna watch out for my behavior so it doesn't get to that extreme. Um, when we talk about self, sometimes we can get this focus of it being selfish. So ironically, when we actually are aware of ourselves and what we're experiencing, that's actually selfless. That's us being so much more in tune with our own existence in the world around us. Because what we do is we look at ourself and we have this kind of like honest read assessment in the moment. How am I doing mentally, physically, and being able to tune into these different signs and signals and be aware so you can be at your best. And here we go with the whole best life experience and be at your best to be with others and to be with yourself. So that's another thing too. 
selfies. Selfies are great. Selfies are okay. If you like selfies, awesome. I make the most awkward faces when I try to do selfies, personal note. So with selfie life, so what I'm talking about there is this best life filter we do is we will go online and we'll search social media and we'll see people with these amazing, perfect pictures and awesome little taglines and getting all the likes and love and whatever we want to call it. And what we do is we identify that that's the existence we're supposed to create for ourselves. However, let's get back to reality and own our, our own existence. So you don't have a professional photographer and a social media team. You don't have posts scheduled in advance in accordance with holidays and events that are going on. Think about it. You're one person and it's okay. Do the best you can. With that being said, that takes us into this understanding of what means embodiment and what means projection. So this is something I personally like to talk about a lot with people to help them be more aware of their thoughts, feelings, and concerns and how they actually express and communicate with others. So projection, think of literally setting up an old school movie projector and projecting an image on the wall. We project the image of self. We want people to see us as this projection because it often is more comfortable or builds up a little bit of space in between what we're truly feeling and thinking. Oftentimes we think about people that famous who had suffered with depression. They could be a great comedian but inside they're focusing on a lot of struggle and strife and self-blame. That could be a projection example. Embodiment. Embodiment is where I, example, am so connected to my words and my thoughts that I know that I'm speaking from my heart as well as my brain and my mind are connected. I am being passionate, but I'm also being truthful to my own thoughts and experience. Embodiment is what we want to strive for. So that way with the people we interact with, we can feel more calm, we feel more content, more clear and more understood because we have a connection to self that we can express as well. Thanks for joining me on the Frame Mind podcast. I'm Jeremy and you've been listening about unhelpful thinking styles, also known as cognitive distortions. We talked about breaking them down, have a better understanding and defining them. And we also talked about how to untwist our unhelpful thinking styles. I hope you found this beneficial and maybe it jogs your memory or it helps you get a little more hopeful. If you guys have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Check out my website, www.mindabove.app. So it's www.mindabove.app. You can find more information about myself, my practice, and my style I approach with therapy. Also there, you can find more information and I'm going to continue to put more podcasts out talking about different pieces of mental health, as well as doing some interviews with others. Have a great week and I wish you success. Thanks. Something you can enjoy. Okay. The outtakes would be great. So thanks for joining me on the Frame My Podcast. I'm Jeremy, the founder of Men...